Hello, my name is Nolan Ruby, and I am the pastor of the Wasatch Front Baptist Church in Salt Lake City, Utah, and this is the On Being Christian podcast. The On Being Christian podcast is a ministry of the Wasatch Front Baptist Church, and this is the very first one. This is podcast number one. The intent of this podcast is twofold. I'll be uploading messages to this podcast on a regular basis with the intent that they be a blessing to you. The day and age in which we have been called to serve the Lord is with, uh, with, without understatement, challenging to say the least at times. And so the messages will be intended to provide encouragement wherever possible and uplifting in their nature. Number two, I think, and this might be the part that I'm very, very excited about or looking forward to the most, is that I intend to do interviews on this channel, mostly, most likely with men of God, pastors, preachers, missionaries, different people that have been standing for the cause of Christ for some time, but also men and women and different members of our particular different societies and communities that have been a Christian in a, in a way or in an avenue that has been out front and for people to see. In other words, if I get a hold of some people that have owned businesses or been statesmen or volunteer operations and different things like that, and we can interview them and ask them, what are the challenges of being a Christian with respect to running a business, with respect to being a volunteer, with respect to the political atmosphere? What are the challenges? What are the benefits? What are the privileges? In what ways has it been restrictive, if at all, and in what ways has it been uplifting? I think that'll be a help. We've already got a couple lined up, and you'll see those on this channel before too long. But to take all that and put it aside for just a second, in my experience with people, I have found that it has been most beneficial if I can figure out just before we do much of anything, if I can figure out who they are. Now, that's going to be pretty hard for me to figure out who you are, but I figured that you might want to know who I am, not for any other reason than that I'm going to be spending some time with you and talking to you. And so the only thing that I could figure out concerning how to do that was just to tell you my personal testimony. It won't take very long at all. It's the most important part about who I am and my life. We'll just cover a couple things in passing, and then we'll close up. Like I said, this is the On Being Christian podcast number one, and from this point on, there'll, there'll be more uh, messages from God's Word, interviews with people that have served God, who are being a Christian at a very high level. What do I mean by that? Before I give you this testimony, let me just explain to you my heart behind this. Christianity today has become not much more than a noun. In other words, people are Christian because they claim the moniker Christian, not because of what they do, and that's not necessarily where that word originated from. The word Christian, the Bible says that people were first called Christians at Antioch, not because of the fact that they were claiming it, but because of the fact that others, by the observation of their lives, knew that these people were following Christ. And in the society that we live in, Christianity, sadly, has been reduced to that sort of noun or that moniker that people attach to themselves and then demand that it is accepted based off nothing more than what they say 
when in reality, being Christian is much more of a verb. It's more appropriately understood concerning the character of somebody because of what they do, not because of what they say. But that's the society that we live in. In fact, that's much broader than just Christianity. We live in a very subjective society. In other words, most people uh, claim subjectively for the things that they would most like to be true to in fact be true because it benefits them and their agenda, when in reality truth is very objective. In fact, we understood this very clearly in our founding documents. The title or the words were said that we claim these truths or we, we, we understand these things to be self-evident. Self-evident truth has never been under attack like it is today. But there are some things that are self-evident. There are some things that are just reality, regardless of whether or not we accept them. And I think what I'm trying to say is that sometimes the fact of whether or not we are Christians can be more appropriately truth, or more appropriately and more truthfully understood by, by others seeing what we do, as opposed to just others listening to what we say. In fact, if I were to say this to you, if being a Christian became illegal tomorrow, would there even be enough evidence to convict you? Would anybody come looking for you based off of the fact that they had observed your life and came away with the understanding that that person is a Christian? It's a good question. But anyway, that'll be for the duration of the podcast. We'll cover that through Bible messages. We'll cover that through interviews with with men of God and and people, ladies and gentlemen, who have stood for the cause of Christ over the years, uh, and in many cases it cost them something. But before we get to all of that, I'd like to just give you this personal thing. I wrote it down here so that we won't be here very long. Somebody had asked me one time about myself, and the only thing that I could say that really meant anything, just in the back of my own head, was that I wouldn't be here had it not been for this one very simple fact. God loved me. And so the title of what I'm about to read to you is simply that, But God Loved Me. And I wrote this at a time in my life when that was really the only thing that I could focus on that mattered. I wouldn't have defined that time in my life as a blessing then, but looking back on it, it made one thing very clear to me, that no matter what I had gone through, was going through at that time, or will go through in the future, nothing would ever change the fact that God loves me. So let me read you this, and we'll be done. It says, Hello, my name is Nolan Ruby, and I'm the pastor of the Wasatch Front Baptist Church here in Salt Lake City, Utah. For those of you who don't know, the Wasatch is the mountain range that runs the length of the Salt Lake Valley. Beautiful mountains. If you ever get a chance to come up here and take a look, I'll show you around. I was born and raised in Sioux Falls, South Dakota. I was brought to the house of the Lord for the first time at three days old. I grew up in church, going to a Christian academy from kindergarten all the way through to 12th grade. I spent spring breaks going to Bible conferences and summer vacations, going on mission trips, etc. I don't remember ever not knowing how to tie a necktie in a half Windsor knot, and it seems that I was always aware of how to best and most properly wear a fitted suit. I could talk the talk, 
quote-unquote, on the outside and walk the walk when certain people were looking. But I always knew that I was a raging mess inside. Angry, hot-tempered, quick-triggered, just looking for a reason to rebel. And any reason was usually good enough. I backed down from nobody, did everything in accordance with my own misguided and blinded moral code. Confident to a point of arrogant, about the point of prideful, lonely, and insanity, I was absolutely out of my mind. But God loved me. When I was eight years old, my father took a pretty active position against the church that we were attending as a family. And so he stopped coming. More than that, really, he actively hated everything about the church and made it no small point that he wanted his family out as well. He was never really faithful to any real form of employment, so with my mother bringing in most of the money, she had more influence than she otherwise may have had concerning keeping my brother, my sisters, and myself in the church and the Christian academy, which was a part of the church that we were attending. By the time I was 10, I realized that my father really did not like me very much at all, and so other men served as a role model or as role models of my youth with my father and I at odds most of the time. With the ideology of the home split pretty evenly right down the middle, a self-sacrificing, working Christian mother and a self-involved, non-working, and at times abusive father, I was mad most of the time, but God loved me. I started working when I was 11 years old with the customary paper route, delivering the shopping news in Sioux Falls, South Dakota. The route paid me about $14 every other week. My goodness, $14 every other week. Why was I even doing that? It felt good to have a little money. It felt good to have a little money, I say. That's not a little money. That's, that's, that's very little money. Folks, I got up, and I'm not reading now. I'm just kind of telling you my story. I got up so early to do some of those paper routes, and sometimes I would do them the night before. And I remember giving, when they would give me that, there was a little tiny envelope, like the type of envelope you'd put like a deposit in. There was $14 in there, and I remember when I pulled that cash out of there, I thought I was hot stuff. Wow. It goes on to say, I would save for things I wanted and enjoyed the freedom of buying things as I pleased. My father would send me to the general store on my bicycle on Saturday mornings. It was about three miles from the house to buy him a weekend edition of the USA Today paper. I remember that I could get there and back a whole lot faster than my father thought I could. So if I could shave off seven minutes there and seven minutes back, it bought me 15 minutes or so to hide behind the store and smoke cigarettes and drink alcohol, which I would steal from the store that I was sent to buy the newspaper from. But God loved me. At 14, I had taken a position with a cafe inside a grocery store. I had saved enough money to purchase pretty nice stuff at that point, and the first thing that I bought was a very nice bicycle. And I rode my bike to work most of the time. I 
often would lie about when I needed to be at work as well as when I would be done giving myself lots of free and unsupervised time, which I used for delinquent purposes. It was not long before I was arrested for trespassing and vandalism. The police brought me home to a compassionate but worried mother and an irate father to include the accompanied beating. But God loved me. I started to become less and less concerned with the increasingly bad decisions that I was making and gave very little notice to the consequences I was initiating or or causing to have taken place in my life. I was falling further and further behind in my schooling all the time. I enjoyed history and military studies, but I cheated every chance I got at everything else I did. I was mandated to summer school, where I was rebellious and obstinate and refused to take part in the assignments. I became violent when confronted and depressed when nobody else was around to see how lonely I really was. But God loved me. I started to do something that I could, excuse me, I started to do anything that I could to not be at home. With my mother always working and never at home, and my father never working and always at home, I did all that I could to find other places to be. Sometimes after work, I could sneak into the theater and watch movies back to back until the last showing. Afterward, I would walk, excuse me, afterward, I would walk the hour or so to my mother's hospital where she worked the night shift and sleep in her car until she got off, and then we would go home together. We would get home in enough time for me to sleep for an hour or so until it was time to get ready for school. She never slept. She would just go straight to making breakfast for everyone. And then I would sleep at school and otherwise be useless. But God loved me. When I was 15 years old, things started to come to a head in my life. As I stated before, there were several men in my life at that time who filled the mentor role, and they began to see that I was unraveling, yeah, to say the least. There were two men specifically that were involved in my life on a daily basis, one being the principal of the school that I was in. That guy's name, by the way, was Tom Rose. He was a chief warrant officer, five, United States Marine Corps Vietnam veteran. And the other man being my martial arts instructor, that guy's name was Jim Sickmeyer, is Jim Sickmeyer. And he was an Air Force veteran in the Gulf War. Both men were Baptist preachers. I looked up to both men a great deal, and they both did a great job of making sure that I knew that they were available. The pastor of the church at the time, a man who is as my own father. That guy's name, by the way, is a guy named Ron Tottingham. And uh, he is, to this day, a man as my own father, a Vietnam veteran with the United States Marine Corps, a machine gunner, which I became, and I guess that's a later story. The pastor of the church at the time, a man who was as my own father, also could see that I was nearing a point of decision needing to be made. All three of these men began to make their presence much more of a regular occurrence in my life because God loved me. They would talk to me about nothing else besides my ever-increasing obvious need for the Savior, for Christ. They talked about it so much and so exclusively that I began to avoid them. I began to become very bold in living out my own blinded sense of moral code. 
as I described morality, at least, which led to ever more bold and defiant decisions. It was not long before I started to deal with God with this same mindset as well, and that is when everything changed, because, folks, God loved me. In December of 1998, I was alone in my room. It was about 1 a.m., and I was awake, fiddling around with something. I had a book entitled D.L. Moody's Latest Sermons, which I had taken from the Christian school that I was attending. I still have that book, by the way, folks. It sits on my shelf today. It had been printed in 1898, which made it, at the time, exactly 100 years old. I remember grabbing the book, and with no specific interest, I began to flip through the pages. I came across a chapter in that book entitled, How to Be Saved. I looked at the title of that chapter and made a decision right there. I said out loud, Lord, I'm going to read this chapter, and if I'm no closer to understanding or believing in your salvation at the end of this chapter, then I'm done with all of this nonsense, and I will live my life however I so see fit going forward. Well, the Lord heard that threat, and he took it personal. Because he loved me. It was not very uh, far into the reading of that chapter entitled How to Be Saved that I began to realize that the Lord had heard my threat and was not impressed. Folks, let me just tell you up to this point, this book, full of messages uh, by the aforementioned D.L. Moody, Uh, this was not the only time in which I had been hearing the gospel. I had gone to a Christian academy, and there was chapel every single morning. And I think I might get into this in a minute, but I had been hearing the presentation of the gospel. We had no school on Mondays, so I heard the presentation of the gospel Tuesday morning, Wednesday morning, Wednesday night at midweek service, Thursday morning, Friday morning, Sunday morning, twice, Sunday night. And so I was very much being inundated with the Lord's will for my life, and it was becoming increasingly more of a struggle to ignore it. All right, back to what I was reading here. It was not very far into the reading of that chapter, How to Be Saved, that I began to realize that the Lord had heard my threat, and he was not impressed. Alone, before God, I began to fear that I truly was eternally separated from ever having a relationship with God, and I knew enough to know that all which is separated from God goes to hell. Conviction began to burn my heart up, and I knew regardless of all else that may or may not be real, that God was real, and that I had a responsibility to Him. I was truly terrified before the presence of God alone in my room, but God loved me. I remember finishing the chapter and thinking that I needed to remember exactly how I felt right there. And I would go to school the next day, tomorrow, and tomorrow when I got to school, I will pull the principal aside, uh, who was a Baptist preacher, that was uh, Tom Rose, and tell him what what was going on with me and ask him to lead me to the Lord. I tried to end it right there with God, but God had heard my threat. And I knew that I would accept Christ right then, alone, before him, or I would be rejecting him forever. I was alone before God. 
but God loved me. Folks, I can take you back there in my mind. I'm there right now. The point I'm trying to make in some of this is that for the first time in my life, I knew that it wasn't anything else between me and God. It was just me and Him, and He was demanding action from me. There's two things that you can do when presented with truth, folks. There's only two things that you can do. You can pretend it doesn't exist and reject it, which only lasts so long, because on a long enough timeline, truth always comes out in the end. Or you can accept it. And that's the responsibility of being told the truth, acceptance or denial. And I was brought to this point when I was 15 years old. The Lord very clearly told me, right now, you will accept or you'll deny. I don't remember the words that I may have said, but I do remember understanding that he was not interested in my words, really, but rather my heart. I can remember asking him, above all else, to please not let me go, and that I would walk away from all else for him, and that I did not want him to leave me alone. The preacher of the church I grew up in has often said, or has often said, that the worst five minutes of your life and the best five minutes of your life are separated by nothing more than a moment, the moment that Christ saves you. There, in the windowless room of my parents' home, which was where my bedroom was in the basement, alone before God, Jesus Christ saved my soul. I was 15 years old because God loves me. A little yes, excuse me, a little less than a year later, and 16 years old at a Christian youth camp, visiting a visiting pastor preached a message on giving your best to God That your best was given to you for the use of God, not for the use of you. That pastor's name, by the way, was Bob Harbin, longtime pastor out in Iowa and now an evangelist. Side note, I have been playing chess with Bob Harbin every single year since I was 15 years old, and I've beat him every time. No, I'm just kidding. (laughs) I beat him the first year when I was 15, beat him again when I was 30, and then after that I realized that... um, He can be beaten if I just slow him way down. He gets bored and forgets what he's doing, and then I win. That's another story. And so he preached a message about pouring out your alabaster box. Let's see if I can remember where I was here. I understood at that very moment that the Lord wanted my life for his purposes and that I was to use the life that he had given me to preach the gospel. I was not entirely sure that this was a good thing as much as I understood that it was a required thing. I made the fact that God had a desire for me to be his servant known publicly, but immediately regretted that I had said anything at all about it. Having grown up in church, I knew enough to know that being the servant of the Lord was very, quote, restrictive, unquote, which was how I defined it at the point, which gave me pause at what I had just committed to, but... God loved me. At 17 years old, I joined the U.S. Marine Corps' delayed enlistment program. I shipped out to basic training just one month after I graduated from high school at 18 years old with an infantry contract. The pastor of the church that I grew up in, the principal of the school that I attended, my football coach, as well as my boss, were all U.S. Marines. 
I had thought if all these men who I respected and admired were Marines, then why not follow the example that I had been given? Well, in boot camp for the U.S. Marines, the attacks of September 11, 2001 took place, and everything that I thought I had joined the Marine Corps for changed just exactly that fast. I found myself, excuse me, I found myself in my first combat zone, Operation Enduring Freedom, in Afghanistan at 19 years old, serving as a heavy guns machine gunner in an infantry battalion. People were trying to kill me every day, and I was scared. But God loved me. I turned 20 on a ship off the coast of Africa fighting pirates in Operation Safe Passage and traveling the seas of the Middle East. Shortly after, I had my 21st birthday during a food riot and subsequent gunfight in Port-au-Prince, Haiti, Operation Secure Tomorrow, fighting Haitian drug lords and violent street gangs. I had begun to become accustomed to fighting and killing. Blood and death were having a less and less drastic effect on me as this was now my third combat tour in my third different theater of operation in as many years. Standing on a filthy, littered Haitian beach one day, I saw some naked kids, no more than four or five years old, digging through the waste and debris, looking for something to eat. No more than 20 yards from them was the body of a man that we had killed the night before being eaten by wild pigs, and I found it amusing. That was the first time I had thought that something in me may have died, and I started to cry, but God loved me. I turned 22 in Iraq, Operation Iraqi Freedom, directly outside of the city of Fallujah. My platoon had been assigned the duty of road excuse me, of route security and counterterrorism operations. Having survived three other combat deployments already, I had become callously accustomed to the brutality of war and the indifference of death. As the time in country went on, it started to become only a matter of time until I was seriously injured. Having personally survived multiple improvised explosive device attacks, in vehicles, as well as on foot, I began to think that I might not actually make it through this deployment. It was toward the end of my time in country that my vehicle, a five-man heavy guns truck, was hit by three 155-millimeter howitzer shells that had been rigged to explode upon command detonation. The improvised explosive device, or IED, had been carefully hidden and directionally tamped, meaning that the devices had been aimed, and the results were catastrophic. The explosion ripped through the vehicle like none that I had ever experienced up to that point. Every Marine in the truck went temporarily deaf as the shrapnel ripped through the Marine behind me and into my back and the back of my head and left shoulder. All I could hear was white noise and people screaming that there were incoming rounds. The Marine that was directly behind me in the gun truck survived for only one day. 
and I struggled with memory loss and headaches for years. But God loved me. I had my 23rd birthday while working as a correctional officer in a prison. I was working death row and disciplinary segregation on the overnight shift with the subsequent duties as a member of both the Disturbance Control Squad and the Special Operations and Rescue Tactics Team. By this time, folks, I had taken my walking papers from the United States Marine Corps, and I was serving as a correctional at the South Dakota um, Department of Corrections. I was home now, going to school, uh, Bible college, believe it or not, in the day, and I was working at the prison at night. I was taking, and in fact, that's what the next part of this paper says. I was taking college classes during the day and competing in full contact mixed martial arts competitions every month or so for extra cash. I was struggling with the adjustment to civilian life after my time in the Marine Corps, struggling with the Lord's call upon my life concerning his will for me to be in his full-time service and otherwise burning the candles at both ends. It was at this time that my mother very unexpectedly passed away. My family promptly fell to pieces, as it was only my mother that was providing any structure of any kind whatsoever, and my father drank himself into the hospital. I was mandated to take a leave of absence from the prison shortly after my mother's funeral for, quote, responding to a situation with brutality, unquote. But God loved me. Folks, the uh, warden at the prison at the time was a Marine, and he was looking out for me. I was not in a good place. I was doing fights every other month or so, sometimes two a month, just for extra cash, becoming pretty callous towards all of those things. Bad time. But God loved me. By the time I was in my 20s, I had accepted a position as a uh, veterans representative and counselor. I found this work to be incredibly rewarding and fulfilling, even therapeutic. But my eyes became set on bigger and better things. I attempted to go into business for myself, still struggling with the call of the Lord upon my life concerning full-time service in the ministry. And my business crumbled into failure. I find myself working, or excuse me, I found myself working three different jobs, putting in over 75 hours a week, if not more, trying to keep everything going. It was at this time that my oldest son, who had just turned four, was diagnosed with stage four cancer. I had lost all insurance and medical benefits with the previous position, and the main job that I was working in construction was coming to an end. But through it all, and for some unknown reason, God loved me. I worked all sorts of different positions from then on, as the Lord continued to reduce me to a man that he could use. In the summer of the year that I turned 36, exactly 20 years after I first acknowledged the Lord's call on my life, I fully surrendered to the Lord regardless of the meaning or consequences. Through all the different lessons, some of which I still bear the scars of today, the Lord preserved my wife and children, including the life of my son. Praise the Lord, folks. He's cancer-free now, 13 years old and doing great. And allowed my wife and I to grow closer together 
and commitment and trust, as well as love and devotion, because God loved me. Since that time, the Lord has led my wife and I to an entirely different city. He has led me into the full-time lead pastoral position of the Wasatch Front Baptist Church of Salt Lake City, Utah. Folks, that's a church that the Lord had allowed myself to start, and uh, it's doing very well. He has provided guidance and forgiveness and grace all along the way. My wife and I can say today, beyond all doubt, that our life is a direct result of the fact that God loves us. And that's my testimony, folks. No matter what the Lord has allowed to take place in my life, He's always preserved the innocency that has surrounded me, and for that I'm incredibly thankful. So again, the purpose of this podcast will be, yes, preaching. There'll be messages preached from the Bible. I'll try to keep them at a respectable length. And the intent of them is to be encouraging to you and to be uplifting. We've been called by our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ to serve Him in this time, which means we have everything that we need in order to be able to do that if we surround ourselves with the doctrine of His Word and hold true to it. The second thing that I'd like to do is um, do some interviews, as we talked about before. And like I said, some of those have already been lined up, and I'm very much looking forward to introducing you to people who have decided that no matter what the cost and no matter what it means, they're going to serve the Lord first. The Bible says, Seek ye first the kingdom of God and all these things will be added unto you. And and I'd like to show you and, and interview some people that have chosen to do just that and then ask them the very simple question, How did it work out for you? What did the Lord do for you? So I'm looking forward to that. I'm looking forward to this. If you have any questions, you have any comments, I'm not sure how in the world that works, but I'll figure it out and let you know. Some of you could probably tell me how that works much better. But for now, I'm going to end this. Thank you so much for listening. This is the Christian, excuse me, On Being Christian podcast. This is the very first one in what I hope will be a long line to come. Again, my name is Nolan Ruby. I'm the pastor of the Wasatch Front Baptist Church in Salt Lake City, Utah. If you have any questions, I'm sure that you can get a hold of me. The website's available, and there's a a link in there where you can email me directly. I'd love to help you any way I can. Before I go, I'd like to just have a word of prayer with you, and then we'll be done. Father, thank you so much for this time that you've given. As we close out, Lord, we we leave these things in your hands. There's nothing else that we can do with them. There's nowhere else that we can put them. We ask that you would bless us. We ask that you would help us to walk worthy of this privilege to be a Christian. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen.